Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. And on a mission to get the cannabis industry for all their B2B paper, switch us over to 100% hemp first, and then we get to be a legitimized model about what truly making sustainable business decisions means. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back. I'm Joyce Gerber, and this is the Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one canna story at a time, except for last week with Dave, who we didn't <laughs> really talk about cannabis or women's stuff, because Dave is not a woman in the industry, but I thought it was a good show. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I don't know if other people did, but we talked a little bit about cannabis, but you're right. It was it was my life story, and uh, I hope it wasn't too boring for people. I thought it was awesome. And there's a lot of legal talk, which is kind of relevant because I feel like that's what makes our show, our cannabis podcast, different from other ones. We like to inform our audience about the legal world, mm-hmm. right? So last week, we talked about Constance Baker Motley, the civil rights queen. Mm-hmm. So that's a good a Black History Month woman thing. Cannabis, that's, not, that's not cannabis either, I guess, but civil <laughs> no, rights. But it's women, yes. It is women. And uh, this week, I'm so thrilled to talk about President Biden's nomination for the Supreme Court, yeah. Todd G. Brown Jackson. Did you, have you ever met her? Have you ever no. seen her around in the Boston world? No. I have not, but pretty exciting, you know. I know. And, you know, to think he had three finalists, Black women. It, I mean, you know, like everything else, it's about time, but it's good news. 
It's good news and so overqualified and so amazing. And she looks good, which is just kind of how the women roll in this world. And I don't know her either. She's went to Harvard. She didn't practice here, I guess, but she's like about our age. Like she's in her fifties. Like we're taking over the world. I know. Yeah. It makes me feel old, but that's, that's all right. That's good though. She'll be there a while at least, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was awesome. And then I just want to make a quick correction. I realized that last week when I was talking about my more, my friend, Maura Healy, who is Attorney General of the Great Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Right. I said she was running for Attorney General. She is not. She is running to be Governor of the right. Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I should have cut that. I'm not as up on mass politics as I used to be, but yes. So good correction. So that was just, again, I keep reaching out. Maura, you need a cannabis advisor. Why do people <laughs> not take me up on this? Yeah. Yeah. It it will happen. And the day it's, it's going to happen, if it's not you, you're going to say, I told you so. You need a cannabis advisor. And I'm surprised. Have you heard of them in other states? Because I'm surprised. I'd be surprised if it, no one's come up with this idea before. Oh, there are. I mean, I'm going to be talking to more policy people. There's some policy at a federal level women I'm going to be talking to in April and May. So, you know, policy is important. We talk about this all the time. I mean, bad policy makes bad law and then you enforce it badly. That's kind of where we are now. So you need smart people who know what they're talking about to influence this. Yeah, I'm just surprised that the people don't have, like in California, who are, the governor of California should have a full-time cannabis advisor. It's, you know, and probably here as well. Yeah, actually, someone on, Mike, they're talking on the State of Cannabis News Hour today about how President Biden did not mention cannabis in the State of the Union address. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe if the world wasn't in such a mess that he would have, but... Who knows? It could have. It, well, this is what we talk about. That cannabis isn't just cannabis. Cannabis touches everything. It touches everything from criminal justice to cosmetics. And that within the context of curing cancer and cleaning up the globe and world peace, we could have mentioned how cannabis legalization could help at one of these. So yeah. that's all I'm saying. And I'm maybe saying President Biden. Maybe if Putin had a joint now and again, he wouldn't be so, you know, up in arms about everything. Sheesh. Agree. agree. It's all about ego. Um, Lordy, Lordy, Lord. Okay. And then just one more thing. So I don't know if you remember, I interviewed a woman named Chia Rodriguez, who was in a documentary called Lady Buds. Yes, I remember like that. Last year. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this show, this movie is available now, but it actually has inspired two spinoffs wow. featuring stories of women in cannabis. Do you have the names of the spinoffs or? I do not. I just heard about it like moments before I came on air. So I just wrote it down quickly. But apparently it's this movie is inspiring a comedy and maybe another documentary. I'm not sure. But again, women in cannabis, we're still the numbers are bad. They're still bad. And that these stories need to be told to elevate, you know, our people seeing us in this industry and being the leaders. So this is important news. Yeah, I've got the news here. The crack research team here at the Cannabom Show, the can't the Ladybuds documentary We'll get, like you said, two adaptations. One of them will be a, a scripted feature and the other one will be non-scripted. So it sounds like one, you know, another, maybe another documentary series. But the scripted one, that's just going to be the story, right? With, with actors and everything, which will be interesting. Like my life. I always say my life is basically a sitcom. I mean, I have more stuff going on with my downstairs, which we don't need to talk about. But I have an Armenian. I have an Australian. I have an Italian. They're all living down there. They're homeless musicians. One may be moving out, maybe coming in. We're having an audition for a guitar player. So, you know, and I talk about cannabis all day long. <laughs> That's right. We're, come on, we need to get your reality show into development, Joyce. I would, okay. I would watch it. Yeah, the, the, the scripted version of this, of this Lady Bud spinoff is being described in the vein of Bridesmaids. So it sounds like it's going to be a comedy. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. My life yeah. is a comedy. So, okay, people, if you're listening, reach out. <laughs>
Yeah, come on. <laughs> I got some material for you. I, I actually, I envision myself more as the marvelous Mrs. Maisel of, you know, cannabis. <laughs> yes. Yes. With the pearls and the nice shoes and everything. Just the like clothes. she does. And the, the clothes. clothes. Yes, she has yeah, wonderful okay. clothes. All right. <laughs> Enough mm-hmm. about me and my clothes. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we introduce today's guest, I did want to thank our sponsor, Fortuna Design, a cannabis-friendly and woman-founded, data-driven, creative design, strategy, and problem-solving marketing firm right here in Massachusetts. All right. Thank you, Dave. That was fun. Today's guest. So I learned about today's guest years ago when I was actually looking to print the Canada Mom Show business cards on hemp paper. And I did use her services in early 2020 in preparation for all that networking I was going to be doing in 2020, but we all know how that went down. So I've had these great hemp cards, business cards for uh, a couple of years now, I guess, goodness. And I've finally been able to start using them. And when I give them out, I get the best response from industry and non-industry people when I say they are printed on hemp paper. So today's guest is the founder of Tiny ePaper Company that makes 100% pure hemp paper on commercial scale. They utilize both hemp stocks and the waste from CBD extractors which is addressing several problems now faced by the cannabis industry. Of course, Tiny Paper's company is woman-founded and is on a mission to sell their products and run the business using smarter resources than trees and utilizing a lot of the waste being generated by a rapidly growing sector of the cannabis hemp industry. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Erica Halverson, founder and CEO of Tiny E-Paper Company. Welcome, Erica. Thanks for coming. So am I saying the name of your business, right? Tiny E Paper. Yes, I am. Can you explain the name? Just tell people about the name before you get into the story. I would love to. Thank you for asking. So Tiny E is a nickname that my dad gave me who has since passed away from cancer four years ago. He gave that to me as a little girl. And it was based off of an old Saturday Night Live skit called Tiny Elvis. And that's funny. It just stuck for years. It's just been my nickname. And one of the things my dad and I used to talk about all the time is whether or not we were walking on our our life path. And while he was alive, I never got to tell him that I was actually feeling like I was walking on my path until I got into cannabis. And I can truly say I am walking my path of life right now. That is a good story. All right, tiny e-paper, tiny e. That's a good story. So I, just before we talk about you, can you just give my listeners all the reasons, maybe just enlist them as many as you can think of, of why hemp is, hemp paper is, I just, you know, just sort of list off the things you tell people when you meet them. Yeah. So there's a few reasons. Number one is as humans, we need trees to live and we're running out of them. So mm-hmm. number one, But number two is I like to quote this one statistic because it really kind of puts into a nutshell how harmful tree paper and the chemicals that go into it are. There is a chemical in the bleach that is used to make tree paper stark white that we have been trained that it needs to be. And it's called dioxin. And it happens to be a chemical that is also found in Agent Orange. Yes, that Agent Orange. And there is so much of this chemical because of all of the bleach that goes into tree paper that seeps into our waterways and seeps into our soil systems that every female on earth has traces of dioxin in her breast milk. And this is what we are feeding our children. And that is only to make tree paper white. 
And that's just the first reason. It's like, let's talk about some of the good reasons. What does Kemp paper do? What's so special about it? And like, why is it? I, I think people don't understand how versatile and ins- insanely versatile hemp is, right? Uh, hemp is the strongest organic matter, or organic fiber on earth. It is really tough stuff. So anything you make out of this plant is going to be tough stuff, whether it's clothing, paper. So what that means for me with paper is I can actually make paper out of 100% hemp that is thinner and stronger than tree paper, which means when we're talking about like, let's say reams of paper in a, in a package of reams of paper, I can make it weigh the same as the tree, tree paper and I can get 20 more sheets of paper in there because it's hmm. stronger. So that's one of the reasons. Also, it takes about 25 to 50 years to grow a tree in order to be able to do anything out of it. It takes four to six months to grow hemp. You can get two full crops in a year. And just that alone as a raw material resource is amazing. On top, hemp remediates bad soil. So you can grow it where there's never been able to grow anything before, completely remediate that soil and start bringing in rotating crops again. All right. So if that didn't convince you, my listeners who don't know about this, yeah, that's a lot. And that's not even everything. Not so even. let's just, let's just talk through the origin story. So this tiny e-paper, you didn't, you aren't, well, we will get back to it. Just what is the origin story of tiny e-paper and uh, when actually did you start the business? So I started in November of 2017 and the catalyst for me was I was working at Jewel and Pax the largest vaporizer companies on both the nicotine side with Juul and then the cannabis side with Pax. And it changed my, a vaporizer changed my consumption world with cannabis. So I knew once I tried that Pax vaporizer, it took me five years to wait for them to get a marketing uh, position open that I could qualify for, that I wanted to work for. And I finally got my quote unquote gateway into the cannabis industry by working for a nicotine and cannabis vaporizer. So what were you doing? Just like, what were you doing before that? I was doing marketing and sales for a lot of other companies and um, a lot of other industries like Samsung, LG, Starbucks Coffee, um, okay. Red Office, Victoria's Secret. So, right. so I knew I was out, in, you're in California, right? We always in California. Um, I was born and raised in Seattle, moved okay. to New York, moved to San Francisco to work in Silicon Valley for startups. That's where I worked for PAX. And then now I live at the beach in Long Beach. And I'm so jealous. Okay. <laughs> I have three beaches I can walk to. You should be jealous. But I was working at Pax and Jewel and I was looking at these tiny little vape pods that were surrounded by mounds of tree trash. And I was thinking to myself, we are selling this medicine, this healness, this wellness healing product for people in the most asshole way possible. And how dare us? That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> Examples is there are companies that have been selling hemp rolling papers forever, but none of them have their packaging in hemp paper. It's in tree paper. It's the weirdest conundrum. So that's what I'm on a mission to do is get the cannabis industry for all their B2B paper, packaging, labeling, receipt rolls, anything to run a business, switch us over to 100% hemp first, and then we get to be a legitimized model to every other industry about what truly making sustainable business decisions means. Amen. I mean, that's my biggest issue. I hate the packaging and I can't, but we we can talk about cannabis packaging a little bit later. So that was your, so you had this idea that you saw that what was actually happening and. And ding dong. And And I'm like, there's gotta be a paper company out there that's making hundred percent hemp paper for cannabis companies. And I took and searched high and low all over the world and I couldn't find any. 
And I also couldn't find any company that was utilizing the waste from CBD extractors, which they're, they're producing tons and tons of waste every day. And what, so just like, maybe talk about like how it doesn't seem like it should be this unusual. I mean, I know I've heard other people about the hemp industry is like the infrastructure doesn't exist. So that's why it's hard to get real, like uh, leveling it up or whatever they're doing. But like, why is it, what are the biggest challenges you're facing as a hemp paper company right now? I guess, why aren't there more people doing this? Because it seems like such an obvious connection, you know, cannabis dispensaries and hemp packaging. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's kind of strange. But for a long time until the 2018 Farm Bill. So that's number one reason. Number two reason is everybody got so hyped up over CBD when hemp became legalized that we had a supply and demand issue with too much CBD and too many CBD growers. And we're over here on the industrial hemp side going, yo, over here, we need love too. So we had no supply, no growers, no processors for these last two to three years. Wow. just now having farmers understand that when you put all of your eggs in one basket and you don't have all the demand there, you have an influx of supply and you got to figure out what to do with it. So this is interesting. Okay, this is interesting to me. So I know about, I mean, I just know that people who are trying to grow the CBD are having issues anyways because of the THC mm-hmm. target numbers, which is ridiculous and made up, but that's a separate issue. But hemp, industrial hemp is much bigger. I mean, this is a much bigger market. I just, this is the thing I just keep not understanding why we're not going from carbon to cannabis. Me too. Every, yeah. So, <laughs> so what if, are, is it because farmers aren't being subsidized? Like what if, what are farmers, why would industrial farmers want to be connected to cannabis or, or hemp, I guess? Take over 25,000 products from the hemp stock that we know of right now. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I don't know why people kind of forgot about our plant. I don't know if it was trying to follow this green rush. And think, which is all oh, my mirage. Hang on, I gotta tell my dog to be quiet. Oh, it's a dog. Yes, she's very protective. She's my wiener. <laughs> but I, honestly, I think the number one reason is this is really hard stuff to work with. It's really tough to farm. It is not like any other crop. So a lot of what I have been doing and the audience I've been talking to has been to re-educate farmers. Because so why is it? Can you explain to me? I don't know anything about farming, literally. So why? <laughs> Why is it harder to farm than any other crop? Like, what are the specific issues? I have heard, like, there's issues with equipment. Like, if you're going to transition, you have to have different equipment. But what else is hard about this? It's not even just the equipment. It's for the first time ever, a farmer needs to understand who their buyer is before they put the seed in the ground. And they've never had to worry about that before. Because when you grow corn and you grow soy, somebody buys it. When you grow hay, people buy it because they need it. They're commoditized. They've already been around and, and legalized for a long time. We don't have that on the hemp side yet. So if a farmer plants and they don't have a resource for that, for that growth, whether it's CBD medicine or it's industrial hemp, then who buys it? They still mm. on it. So up until last year, I literally had CBD farmers that were calling me asking if I wanted to buy stocks that they had sitting around since 2019. And I'm like, wait a second, this is organic matter. Or what happens to organic matters when you pull them out of the earth? <laughs> They die. This thing's been sitting around for two years and you want to know if I want to buy it? Like, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> wow. So the CBD growers, they took the, the flower off and didn't know what to do with the stalks and they're holding it and holding it and holding it and holding it in these fields. And it's getting rotted. It's getting infested with bugs and moldy. And they think I can make paper out of it. So there's just an entire education that needs to go to these farmers so they understand what they're growing 
They understand who they're growing it for, and they understand what is going to be made from that. Because if they don't understand all of that, then they might be getting some, themselves in trouble, and they're getting our industry in trouble because I won't have the raw material I need. Which, well, that's interesting. So it's like it's basically it's it's commodified, like on a market, like a real like once it's legalized, and I'm like this well, is it's legal. Yeah, but this is the main point of this whole thing. Yeah. Farmers drive the entire industry. If we don't have raw material, what do the processors do? They sit around and do nothing. What pulpers right. sit around and do? Nothing. So it all starts with the farmers. And that's why they're the most important piece of this puzzle right now. Wow, that's interesting. All right. So this is a big hemp movement. So who are you working with? Are there policy people or advocates or farmers? Or like, I know doctors talk to doctors, nurses talk to nurses, the farmers talking to farmers. How's this working? Trying to talk to everybody because... One of the things that I'm trying to show is how much of an impact hemp can have on marginalized communities, even making just one product like hemp paper. I need farmers. I need cultivators. I need processors. I need pulpers. I need a paper mill. And then I need all the upstream supply chain, like a bag making machine and an envelope making machine, just to make paper. Now add textiles onto that. Two thirds of the processing of the hemp plant, whether it's for plastic, textile, paper, is about the same. And so we can share processors and share raw material supplies and help this entire industry grow together and scale together. And now we don't have enough of us talking together in big groups like that, understanding that we can have an impact on the entire supply chain together. We're talking in these silos in these different organizations and things like that. And I'm trying to talk to as many people as possible which is why I really appreciate opportunities like this because it helps me get in front of that broader audience. So we're not just talking to ourselves because that really doesn't do much of anything. No, I mean, again, I, I don't know anything about farming, but I do know that we could go, our entire economy could, could go from carbon to cannabis. I mean, it mm-hmm. could do that. We could, I just, our entire budget. <laughs> Let's just think about this on a monetary level, even. We can balance every state budget with this plant. Hmm. I mean, Interesting. Yeah, I just uh, okay. Like, so let's get back to tiny paper, just because I tiny e paper, just because it is about you. So, uh, my own personal story with you is that I was little. I was looking for hemp business cards because I thought that'd be a good idea. Because I was so tired of going into, I was mostly tired of going into dispensaries and seeing all the horrible, terrible packaging, which makes me like want to cry every time I see it. And kept asking why they don't have hemp packaging, but I thought I could do my own little part by getting hemp business cards, which I did. You know, Appreciate beginning of twenty twenty customers. Yeah. So how are you, what are people getting from you? Like, what are you, this is two years ago that I was, you know, got my card. So where, what has been going on since the pandemic? Like, how have you been working with businesses? I know, obviously you get to do the business cards. Like, what are you doing now? Yeah. I mean, a lot must have happened over the past two years. <laughs> Can you just tell me the past two years in the next 20 minutes, Erica? It's fine. Just go. <laughs> Basically, I had to pivot because of a pandemic and I was selling business cards to an industry that wasn't having any business meetings because we were on lockdown. So what do you do? I so, held on to my, they're beautiful. I give them out all the time. It's hysterical though. Cause I'm like, what am I going to do with these? And then finally I got to give them out and people, people do love them. They're, they're very like happy. They look at them for a long time. That warms my heart. So what I did in the meantime is I formed another LLC underneath my corporate umbrella, which is a packaging, labeling, and printing company. Because one of the things I found out very quickly is when I'm working with my paper mill, when they make the paper, I got to be able to make something out of the paper in order to sell it. Like I'd have to make it into a box or an envelope or whatever, a business card. And so that's what I've done is I've created a packaging company called Tiny E Paper and High Life Packaging. And 
Now we can make boxes, we can make books, we can make large format signage, all types of collateral. I can make childproof packaging, crutch cards, so we can perforate business cards and you can make uh, filters for your pre-rolls. All those different types. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm fundraising to buy all of the upstream machines I need to create all these other products. Like the first one I'm going to purchase is a bag making machine. And I will be the only 100% hemp bag producer, paper bag manufacturer in the entire world. And do you make all, where do you make all these, is it in the the States or do you make them overseas? Where are you making the, where are you making the products now? It's for me, especially when we're getting this off the ground, how dare I cannibalize our own industry before it has a chance to get off the ground. And that's why I'm very adamant about using American grown hemp, American manufacturers, American farmers, American processors. I'm going to bring my machines here, plop them down on indigenous land in America so I can, again, go back to supporting those marginalized communities, working with the indigenous tribes. They can, they can help me with all that stuff. They need, they have growers. They have labor for me. So when I get that machine and put it in one of their buildings, I can hire indigenous labor. That's, that's like, again, I mean, I talk about cannabis as a vehicle for change and women doing business differently than all other businesses. So that's hopeful. So like, let me just go back to financing. I know this is an issue for everybody. Capital, that seems to be the issue we're on. You said you're on, you're doing some fundraising. Are you doing, so what, what's the reaction you're getting out there in the world? Because I, I don't know why there aren't more people doing cannabis, I mean, hemp packaging for dispensaries. It just seems such, again, it's such an obvious connection. It makes me cry. My biggest challenge is I have boobs. <laughs> I say I have vagina. That's how I put it. It's a vagina, really, not the boobs. Really honest and transparent about it. If I was not a woman, I would have had my money three years ago. And I know this for a fact. Mm. I get a lot of great responses, but then I get told I'm cute and I get patted on the head and I get told <gasps> hurt. Uh, do I have a man representing me that they could negotiate with? Uh, like, we need some respect out here. We're not getting it. That's my biggest challenge. I can't get any VCs to pay attention to me because they're owned by white guys and white guys like to trust in other white guys and they don't even want to talk to me. Yeah, I know. It's not even their fault, really. It's their brains are damaged or something. I don't know. I've, I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time. They literally just can't see us. But I just heard that Venus Williams is going to be opening up a venture capital. I love that. Because she couldn't believe it. She's like, what? 2%? That can't be right. Oop. And they're like, yeah, 2% of women. VC money. It's not, let's take cannabis out of it. 2% of all VC. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, all. Women. That's shitty. Yep. All right. So, so it's not, cannabis is specifically tricky. So you're finding the same thing everyone else is finding. But I think this is giving us an opportunity to maybe think about financing things differently as long as the men doing it the old school way don't win first. You and know that, what I mean? Like there's a new industry, there's a new business. Especially when we're a nascent industry. And I, I even, I behold using the word industry. We're a community right now. When you're this nascent and you don't even have a supply chain, you don't fit in a nice little box that investors are used to. There is nothing about this industry that fits in a nice little neat box. And that's what most investors I talk to are looking for. And so I'm done wasting my time with the VCs, with the institutional loans, with, the, with anything that is a foundation. I want to talk to individual investors. I want to talk to people that are getting grants. I need somebody to believe in me, not an institution, because I'm not going to fit in their box. I hear this all the time. Again, that's amazing. All right. So you're going. So, so. You're in, so you're doing this. So you're out there, you're trying to get new packaging out there. You're doing the fundraising. Um, I'm at uh, a really great spot right now. In the next two weeks, I'm going to complete a R&D trial with a brand new paper mill that I'm working with that has much larger capabilities. 
and I will be able to officially start selling packaging. I'm actually getting pricing together right now for the first time for my first orders. That's so exciting. Uh, so can I just, I mean, this is the thing I think people are worried about. They think it's the pricing, the pricing they can't compete. So what are you doing? When I own the supply chain and when I partner correctly with paper mills and things like that, that's where I can, that's where I can withhold, that's where I can have control over the pricing. The more that I have to use third-party vendors, right. when I do that, it adds on cost which is why I'm fundraising to own those machines and partner with the people that are downstream from me so that we can, I can manage those costs and mitigate that. Because if I make this paper too expensive, nobody will be able to afford it. And that is the biggest hindrance with what people's ideal about hemp paper is, is that it's astronomically expensive. I'm going to prove that it doesn't have to be. Oh, another woman doing something new. I love it. All right. So, I mean, even the business card, I mean, it was a little, it's hard to compete with business cards because you can get them for so cheap, seriously. You know what I mean? And you have to decide that hemp business cards are something you want to invest in because it says something about you. I think that's where I was when I got them. But I also have people that will push back on me a little bit with my pricing and say, well, wow, how come you're not as cheap as Vistaprint? Like 20 bucks for 50 really flimsy, cheap cards. I'm like, why would I want to be known as a cheap, flimsy card? This is paper. It's commoditized. It is not like tree paper. It is special. And if you're not ready to pay a special price for something that's going to heal our earth, that's okay. I've got plenty of other people who are, and eventually they're going to be forced over to hemp paper anyway, because tree paper is going to be gone. Again, I don't know. It's like, we have this idea that everything's going to be cheap, 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 cheap. And that's like, you're being smart about it. But the truth is you're, you have to think of like what you're doing down the supply chain of like who you're dipping and if you really want to build an equitable industry that supports people and creates living wages and generational wealth, mm-hmm. it's a it's a different way of thinking about fewer things, higher quality. You know what I mean? That's where we're heading. We don't need so much stuff. Yeah, but we, yeah. it really is going to make a difference in the world, and that should not be free. No, so we're it's a real cost. All right, so you let's just talk about your personal story. So you were working in Silicon. You were working in Silicon Valley. You were doing marketing. You were this person, what was your cannabis connection? Did you have a cannabis connection? Were you new? Yeah. What what was your story? (laughs) I have a very personal passion for this plant. It completely changed my life. I lost a lot of weight with it, almost a hundred pounds. I completely took away stress and anxiety and changed my mood. And I'll never forget, even my mother was asking me what was going on with me. I was going through this major change and improvements and I couldn't tell her because I was still in my green closet. What year is this, Erica? What year? This was, gosh, this was 20 years ago. All right. So your parents and your family didn't know and you were using cannabis like to you, your shame? Well, like, how did you feel about it? Well, it was just this illegal drug thing. And I didn't look ashamed. I don't really know what it was. I, I thought that people would shun me. I thought that my parents would be mad at me. I thought like, I don't know. I just wasn't comfortable talking about it yet. And I'll never forget the day that I came out of my green closet and now I'm loud and proud. I'm all over the place because this plant is amazing, changed everything about my life. And to be able to marry my per- my per- personal passion for this plant with my professional career has been wonderful. It, it makes work not seem like work anymore. And I think that's something that not enough people do is do something for their job that they truly, truly are passionate about. And I believe that the majority of us in cannabis are are lucky enough to be able to do that because of this plant. That's interesting. So when you were in corporate America, were you a cannabis consumer and having to hide it? Yeah. That- 
And I wasn't in corporate America. I was in corporate Korea. For 10 years, I worked between Samsung and LG. Get out. Really? That's... Yes. Wow. Made the decision. I was at Samsung and I had to get out of of Korean corporations. Talk about misogyny. (laughs) Yeah, Erica. Goodness. New York and work for Silicon Valley and get some startup and small table experience on my resume. And I worked in Silicon Valley over the next four years for all different types of startups in every single type of shape and form. Angel funded, parent-child relationships, pre-acquisition, post-IPO. And that's finally when I got into PAX and Jewel. And that, that's where everything changed for me. So is that the first, were you a flower smoker and you discovered PAX vape? Yep. Is that? Flower smoke. And five years before I was in PAX, I went, in, I went to Miami for the first time and was visiting a friend of mine for Thanksgiving. And he pulled, whipped out this thing and said, hey, I want you to try this. And I said, well, what the hell is that, first of all? <laughs> Second of all, what? Like, that's going to get me high. There's no smoke involved. And you think I'm going to get stoned from that? And little did I know, it's better. <laughs> when you don't burn the crap out of the weed, you can actually taste it. And it tastes really good. You can actually get the full terpene p- profile. And it's, it, was, it changed my life. You mean I can go to a restaurant, smoke weed outside the restaurant, Nobody needs to know. And then I can walk in the restaurant without having to like body wash everything because I smell like a giant joint walking through the restaurant. I like, what? It was amazing. And that's when I, I like, I have to work for this company. This is amazing. So did you use their, their flower vapes too? Or just their, what were you using? Just the oil vapes? Well, I was using their Era, which is the, their small little battery. That's like their vape vape with the, with the concentrates where you put the pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was also using their flower. Uh, vaporizers. They have two different types. They have one that just does flour, and then they have one that has an insert that's an accessory, and you can do butters and shatters and wax. Oh, really? Concentrates with it too. Yeah, my husband's a vape. He loves the packs. I've never really gotten used to the packs flour, but I'm trying because I know some places I need to be more discreet. I like to do when I'm out and about. I like to vape pods and concentrates more than flour. It's cleaner, and I mean cleaner as in. You got to clean that packs like three times a week. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm I, I, I talk. I'm like you know I'm a I'm a I'm a mother and like I can't, whatever. I talk about cleaning your stuff. Like keep your stuff clean. You wouldn't eat off dirty plates. Like I'm obsessed with this. Like having <laughs> alcohol and wiped and we clean our stuff re- regularly. So that yeah. is the complaint I have about the packs. It gets in, but any flower thing. Yeah, smoking. everything has to be cleaned constantly. So that's funny. All right, all right. So you were let's see. So you. We're using cannabis for your own health and wellness and your mother and family understood. So how do they feel about it now? Now I out and loud and proud. Like okay. I have conversations with my uncle about it because he now smokes weed for his own medical issues. And last Christmas I bought him a pipe. <laughs> so yeah, now everybody they're watching what I'm doing with my company. One of my other uncles is my newest investor in what? my so small friends and family investor, not a lot, but it's something. And I've got family involved now. So yeah, now that I'm where I'm at, and again, it's taken me four years to get to this point, but I, the, the people that I talk to that are my family, I know they're proud of me. So I think they should be. This is impressive. And that's caregiving on the other direction, but let's get back to that. So we're going to be back with our guest, Erica Haverson, founder of Tiny E-Paper Company, right after a message about our sponsor, Fortuna design. Today's sponsor, Fortuna Design, is on a mission to share your light 
because the world needs to hear your message, is what the founder and visionary, Ashley Corrado, wants you to know. We met on Clubhouse, and I knew pretty quickly that she's someone I would be looking towards for marketing insight, and so should you. Fortuna Design works with your business to use your data to inform future business decisions. Ashley and her team want you to know that marketing is not a four-letter word. And if you are a mission-driven cannabis business, please give Fortuna Design a call. Like everything else in cannabis, you need a specialized marketing team that is on top of the quickly evolving trends in the emerging cannabis industry. Fortuna Design employs data-driven creative design, strategy, and problem-solving to help clients hone their online presence. Using the same data-driven approach, they integrate innovative tech solutions to help improve clients' infrastructure and processes. Ashley and her team use data to drive their creative process. And right now, Fortuna Design is offering a few special promotions just for cannabis businesses. The first is for Canna content creation, and the other is how to advertise in cannabis. If your company is ready to transition away from old-school design and outdated tech, Fortuna Design might be the firm for you. Check them out at Design by Fortuna on social media and at their website, fortunadesign.io. All right, we are back with our guest, Erica Halverson, founder of Tiny Eat Paper. And Data Freak. And, and Data Freak. Yes, we need data. Again, this is a business industry. We talk about love, kindness, goodness, and hope, but we're building a business. So we need data. Fortuna's doing is awesome. I am, you can argue with opinions. You cannot argue with numbers. Yeah. So, and I do love, you know, she's right here in Massachusetts and, you know, not everyone who's coming into this has a background in cannabis, but everyone has been healed by it at some point, which is why they stay in the industry. So that's where she is. And she's excited to use her marketing skills in this world because we need specialized people. It's, it's a very specialized industry, as you know, very well. All right. So you're in California. You're doing hemp. What are you doing in 2022? Are you doing more trade shows? Are you talking to more farmers? Are you, what do you think is happening in the hemp world? Ah, 2022 is going to be a big year for Tiny E. I'm going to get the funding I need. I've already got some things in the works that I'm hoping to be able to announce in the next two to three weeks. And I'm going to blow the roof off this thing. I'm going to start selling product. I'm going to get the sales that I need and start scaling. I mean, scaling, that's, the, I mean, that's where we are right now, right? You know, we're talking about capital. That's been the issue, but I do, you know, I talked to women businesses and we're having sort of across the board, everyone's having the same issue as accessing capital, but I can see that women are starting to bond together and trying to find this, this together, you know, and not, not, not depending on the old structures. Do you think that's, are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. And I have to say, I have never had such good working relationships with women until I got into cannabis. And one, one of the reasons for that is when you get to a certain level in any corporate world in America, there's few women in a lot of these industries. And so every woman is fighting against every other woman for every right. that's and every opportunity. And being able to work in an industry that where, for the most part, there's assholes everywhere, but 99.9%, we want to work together and help each other. And not pin each other against each other. And it's just so refreshingly wonderful. And I've got more female females in my life that I call friends than I ever have had in my entire life. 
I mean, I say that's true too. I was a, you know, I was an attorney by training. I was often the only female in a room and I didn't succeed very well in that world. And I always felt bad about it, but I could see it wasn't set up for me. And the women who have succeeded, who've become partners in firms or CEOs of businesses had to play by rules that denigrated really my skill set, you know, like collaborative and I'm sort of funny and I'm a little bit quirky and I do admit when I make mistakes and that, you know, these are not things that were okay in the world of law. You had to pretend like you knew everything and you had it all together all the time and you couldn't be a caregiver, which is, we haven't really talked about that yet, but you know, my biggest issue in the world of monetized work is that I had kids and kids don't raise themselves. And when things weren't going well, the truth is my husband made more money and had better health insurance. So I took the time off and I did what needed to be done. So my dream is that this industry is being built in the image of caregivers because the plant is a caregiver and we are caregivers. And look at you taking care of your uncles and your parents and, you know, just giving them information that they need. So are you in this world too? Yes. And that's kind of one of my frustrations with what we're going through on the capital side as well is men will trust us with their children, their households, their finances, but they won't trust us with business. I don't get it. And so, and again, so I was that mom, I was the mom who took care of everything. I did the PTA and I did, I, I ran things, but because I wasn't paid to do any of this. Yeah. It was like that skill set was unnecessary. But, you know, I ran organizations that were $100,000 and I was you know, bringing in a year and I was volunteering and I was doing this on top of like raising, you know, I was doing all these things that in the real world would be paid for. Mm-hmm. But because I was the mom at home doing the group thing, like it didn't, it didn't have any value. <laughs> it just, so it's like this idea that we can't be seen. So I, I don't blame people. I don't blame the men who are, who have who's, who's succeeded because they literally can't see us. They've never been in our world. But the truth is we exist. I feel like I am the beginning. You're part of this generation of women who did everything. We got our degrees. We had our children. We got married. We did whatever we had to do. And we were told to lean in more because that's what Sheryl Sandberg did. And I never knew where to lean into because I seemed like I was leaning in really hard. And I'm done with that. Do you know what I mean? Like we are building a new world because we can, we exist. People might think we're invisible, but we do everything. We're running the world. We already are doing it. We have better time management skills than anybody on earth. Yeah, that, that when I was, you know, like when, you know, this is off topic, but you know, when I was trying to do that, like I'm going to work at home, they told me I literally couldn't do my job at home back in the day, right? You have to waste those two hours commuting back and forth and freaking out that you're going to miss your daycare pickup. That's, that's what real work is about. I think COVID is letting us see that that's not true anymore. Yeah. So that's, so, but you have been like helping your family. So you've been showing them how this works and they've been listening to you. You Yeah. I talk about it all the time. And that's partly why I'm very social on social (laughs) Mm -hmm. talk about not only this plant a lot and what it does I am very transparent about my journey in starting this company because I don't want anybody to think that everything about this industry is rainbows and butterflies and if I only talk about the rainbows and butterflies then it's a very distorted view so I'm very open about the struggles I've gone through I talk about my successes but I I don't have anything to hide in this and I think that's that's been the thing that has helped my family understand what this plant has done for me is being able to watch the struggles I go through and how I get through those being a woman in this industry. And we deal with challenges that no other industry on earth has to deal with. Right. Just by being this plant. And that in itself is, is something kind of special. But you are the pioneer. You're one of the pioneering generations who's going to set this up differently. I'm so proud of you, Erica. This is so great. All right. So 
Are you going to be speaking anywhere? Any place people can find you? You're in California now that over the next I don't know, a couple of months, things that you're doing? I'm going to be out more and more, especially once I get funded, I'll be able to travel because I'll actually have something called a travel budget. Mm-hmm. But right now I'm doing a lot of virtual type things. So I just spoke at the Oklahoma Hemp Summit two weeks ago, and I'm going to be speaking at the University of Madison, actually, in Wisconsin. Cool. Their semesters. So... As speaking opportunities come up, I take them. I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> I mean, I hope farmers are reaching out to you. This is such an interesting area and um, really transforming how we use our land. Again, I know nothing. I live in the city. I'm not prepared for anything. You know, I'm not a survivalist, but I know that farmers, this could transform how we use the land in this country, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. All right. So Erica, what is the best way for people to connect with you, to find you, to reach out to you? Yeah, so I have a website, tinyepaper.com, and I am all over uh, LinkedIn, both as Tiny E Paper and as myself, Erica Halverson. Unfortunately, Facebook shut me down, so I'm only on Facebook and Instagram as myself, Erica, but I talk about Tiny E on there all the time, but they won't. Wait, can I back up? Did Facebook really shut you down? Three times they've shut me down. Yep. How come they can't shut down, like, disinformation, but they can shut down hemp companies? <laughs> And they're telling, they keep telling me I'm violating one of their standards, but they won't tell me what it is. And I'm a hemp paper company. I'm like, what is violating a standard when I make paper? That's what I don't get. But they've shut me down three times. Oh, Facebook, Facebook. Okay. So LinkedIn, who is actually a very friendly resource to the cannabis world. Are you on Clubhouse at all? I am. And actually, I'm going to be speaking at an event in the next two weeks on Clubhouse. So that will be fun as well. But yeah, I'm also on on Clubhouse. All right. Clubhouse and LinkedIn. You know, you're helping us spread the word and get information out there and educate. So thank you. Erica, this was lovely. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Joyce. I appreciate it. This is so good. Okay, so another show, another show for my guest and my bro David Yaz, and our Canna Mom Show team. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing them, preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so that together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one toke at a time.